Redeemed, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Jeremiah 7. And as you make your way there, I want to thank you for your continued generosity. Uh, I'll pray both over our, our time of giving. Uh, you'll notice that we will not pass a plate. Uh, at some point, there'll be uh, boxes at the rear of the sanctuary. Feel free to continue to give that way or however you've been doing that during the pandemic. I'm going to pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for being true to your word. Uh, thank you for the goodness and loving kindness that we've experienced. That even as we have been absent, you have preserved the bond of peace. That it's beautiful to see faces and children and men and women. To be reminded that, you, that you've made us to desire community. And so Lord, uh, it's a treat to be with your people. And I pray that as we expound your word, that you would edify and build them up. Father, I also ask that whatever we continue to give, that you would continue, even as you have been doing during this season, to bless it and to, to do far more than we can ask or think. You are faithful and good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Redeemer, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 7. And I'll stop at verse 29, so bear with me. It's quite a long reading. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who entered these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words that this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to th this house that is called by my name, and in, in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and your fathers as I did to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. As for you, Jeremiah, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer for them, and do not intercede with me, for I will no longer hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. 
Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add to your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsel and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants and prophets to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on bare heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. Amen. This morning, we're going to continue our One Another series by focusing in on that phrase right there in Jeremiah 7, verse 5. Notice what God says, if you truly execute justice one with another. Did you expect to to see that justice is a part of these one-anotherings in the Bible. That that's the idea I want us to consider. And it was not originally in our eight-week series. I'll be honest that this is in part a response to what we're seeing on the news day in and day out. That God commands his people to execute justice and to care about justice. And I'd imagine that when we hear that, we have different groups in the room right now. That probably some of you come out of a tradition where you've heard people say, don't talk about justice issues, just preach the gospel. I've heard that. But the last that I checked, right, the gospel says that God makes unjust people just by the atoning work of Christ, that we would go and live just lives, right? And there's some of you, right, that, that you're kind of in my generation, and we've read the lamentations of the older generation who are repenting for their silence and not doing justice in their generation, and so we read what they're writing, and so our impulse is to go and do something, but I want to sort of correct our generation because I don't think we always know what it means to do justice rightly. And then you have the younger generation who's kind of coming behind us, and they're reading what our forefathers wrote. They're seeing us kind of work this out, and they're kind of scratching their heads. Well, what does it mean for my faith and my love for Jesus to intersect life so that I can be salt and light in this world? Because if I go back and look to the 60s and to the, the, the 1600s about how professing Christians live, I see a disconnect, right? Justin Gibney. He's a co-founder of the Ann Campaign. 
And here's what he writes. He says, young Christians are going to seek out a concept of social justice. If they can't get it from the church, then they'll get it from secular sources. If that's problematic for you, and it should be, then don't dismiss social justice. Show them a biblical way to pursue it. He's actually saying we don't have the freedom to not talk about these things. That if we say nothing about these things, if we don't disciple our people around these things, then they're going to be discipled somewhere. And so what a better place to do it? Not on the news, but from God's word. That's where we're looking at this morning. I want to leave with this question. How important is justice to God? Well, first, what is it? You'll notice the language that Jeremiah uses there in verse 5. He actually says, execute justice. And so I want to parse out those two different words. And so what is it? The word execute, right? That's a strong word. It can mean create. It can mean to do, but it can also mean to manufacture. So that, that, that's the first thing. Before we get to what justice is, he says, manufacture this. Look, I've worked in manufacturing plants, and I know what it's like when raw goods show up and work and skill and knowledge has to be applied to these raw goods so that this output, this finished product, It's better than what it was when it arrived. That's the language here. Jeremiah is actually saying manufacturing this is not something we do with our hands from behind our keyboards. It's not something we just talk about. It's not something we simply think about. Although thinking and tweeting and typing and reading can be a part of the process, but it still takes work, like like physical work and intentionality. I think that's important. But the other, the, the other word there is, is, is the Hebrew word mishpat. It's used for, for justice. It's used over 200 times in the Bible. And on the one hand, it does mean this. It means acquitting or punishing all persons who are guilty of any crime, regardless of race or gender or sex or economic status, equally. And so the first side of God's definition of justice is equality, that you don't get a pass in the court of law because you got more money and you can hire better lawyers. You don't get a pass in the court of law because of who your people are, right? Like like, like in God's courtroom, the scales must be balanced, that there is no favoritism when it comes to a person who has transgressed the law. That there's equality. That's one side of justice. But Tim Keller writes in his book, Generous Justice, he says there's another side of it. Deuteronomy 18 directs that the priests of the tabernacle should be supported by a certain percentage of the people's income. The support is described as the priest's mishpat, which means that this is their due or their right. Priests were entitled by virtue of God's law 
to be compensated with a certain percentage since their work was to care for the people. And so we read, defend the rights of the poor and the needy, Proverbs 31.9. So Mishpat then is not only equity in judgment and justice across the board, but it's also giving people what they are due. And what you normally find in the Old Testament, when that phrase is used, it's usually used and the context has to do with the quartet of the vulnerable. So the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner. That because of bitter providences, a husband dies. A famine comes to your land. War comes to your land. And so you have to flee your land. You can't take care of yourself. And what's supposed to happen, though providentially circumstances have, been, have harmed you, that God's people are supposed to have a posture to lift you up so that there is equity and fairness in the land. This is what God is commanding. Now, has it dawned on you that what we're reading is a sermon? This is Jeremiah's, one of his famous temple sermons. And notice who's the author of what we're reading. The word that came to Jeremiah, but it's from the Lord. And so whatever Jeremiah is preaching about or teaching about, these aren't his words. And Jeremiah has already been tried as a prophet in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah t God tells Jeremiah, don't be afraid to say what I tell you to say. He says, I'm going to show you an almond tree, and I want you to tell me what you see. And Jeremiah tells him that's an almond tree. And the Lord tells Jeremiah, now that I know that you see what I want you to see, and you will say what I want you to say. And so now in Jeremiah chapter 7, guess what Jeremiah is doing? He's doing and saying exactly what he's heard from the Lord. These are not Jeremiah's words. These are God's words. So therefore, we know that justice is important. But did you notice where this sermon takes place? Look at it. Right there in verse 2, stand in the gate of the Lord's house. That's the temple. You can see that this is the temple right there in verse 4, the temple, the temple, the temple, and proclaim there this word. So Jeremiah is commanded not only to preach this sermon, but to go in the middle of the temple. And we think because of the language here, notice how it says, and say this to all the men of Judah who entered these gates to worship. We th that same language is used in Deuteronomy 16. In Deuteronomy 16, the Lord commands Israel all your males shall go to Jerusalem for the, un, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. In other words, what we think is happening, Jeremiah is going to the temple in the middle of a feast. And he's interrupting the feast. Whatever feast this is that's going on, he is standing on or near a gate He's catching people as they're coming in and going out, and he disrupts the feast to preach this sermon. 
Now, I can imagine he's getting all kind of looks. How dare you interrupt the Feast of Booths? How dare you do this? And you're just trying to draw attention to yourself. And Jeremiah's like, nope, let me tell you what's really happening. Y'all ever been watching TV and you're watching SportsCenter or you're watching a football game or you're watching your favorite show and then something shows up in the lower thirds of the television and the words breaking news appears across the bottom and then you start to hear the beeps. What you don't know is on the other end of the television, the broadcaster has just informed the affiliates that breaking news is coming in. And we're going to warn the people. I know they want to watch their regularly scheduled programming. But the broadcaster is hijacking what we want to watch to make us watch what they think is more important than what we're watching. That's what's happening in our passage. They're coming there to do their feast. And the Lord of the feast sends Jeremiah. He says, time out. I know y'all want to go on with this feast, but I got breaking news for you. And this isn't the first time God has done that. If you look at the passage that you'll notice right there in verse 17 that something's happening he says do you not see what they are doing in the cities of judah and in the streets of jerusalem in other words they want to come to the temple and do life in the temple they want to come and worship in the temple and do the feast in the temple and where is god's gaze god's gaze is what's happening in the streets and what's happening in Jerusalem, and, and, and the Lord actually says in verse 13, he says, I spoke to you persistently, and you did not listen when I called, you did not answer. In verse 25, I persistently sent all my servants and, I, and my prophets to them day after day. In other words, what Jeremiah is doing is not the first time. This is a, a series of events where God himself sends prophet after prophet after prophet to interrupt their regularly scheduled programming of coming into the temple because he sees something wrong in the cities and in the streets where they live. What does he see? He sees that they're concerned about worship, but they're turning their eyes against what's happening outside of the walls of the temple. If they want to come and get their religious fix in the temple and are turning blind eyes to injustice and inequity in the land. God envisions this city indwelled by his people for equity and fairness and unbiased rendering of punishment abounds he envisions this city where all are treated equally and fairly. He wants the poor to have all they need to thrive. He wants the wealthy to not have any added benefits in the court of law because of their status. He wants justice to roll down in his land where everyone is treated with dignity, regardless of skin color, regardless of sex, regardless of ethnicity. And I know, right, that there are other justice issues in our land. But I want to kind of talk about what's happening right now. You see, for two and a half, three months, every time we turned on our television, 
I don't know about what you watch, but all I heard about was COVID-19, COVID-19, vaccines, cures, outbreaks, masks. This is how it's transmitted. This is how it's not transmitted. This is herd immunity. This is contact tracing. Like, like, like that dominated the news feed. And then a couple weeks ago, do you know something else hijacked what hijacked our lives? It's when Ahmaud Arbery was killed in broad daylight. It's when we heard about Breonna Taylor being killed. It's when we saw the video that I wish I never watched of George Floyd with a knee on his neck. And that has hijacked the news now because now we're seeing the riots. We're seeing the protests. We're seeing the response. Now we're seeing it. Now here's the question. Why? If we can look at that and turn a blind eye to an image bearer who breathes his last. If we can look at that and look at a man be gunned down and hunted like he's a deer and turn our eyes and only think about coming back to this building, if, 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 if our preoccupation is getting back in a building and we don't care about what's happening out there, then we're wrong. It matters. He, worship matters to God. Redeemer, but what happens outside of the walls of this church, they matter to God. It matters. God shows us how important justice is because he's interrupting his own feast to tell Israel, if you don't start caring about that, I'm changing your zip code. Change your conduct or I'm changing your zip code. It matters. Now, the second thing, what's the danger of not doing justice? Y'all, I think God is being so gracious to us in this passage because I actually think we get two test case scenarios. In other words, if you'll notice, look at verse 12 of our passage. He says, go now to, to my place, right? This is God's place that was past tense in Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. In other words, you know what Shiloh was? That was where the Ark of the Covenant dwelled, where the Mosaic Tabernacle was set up. And the Lord is telling Israel, if you don't think I'm playing, go tell me what's that Shiloh now. Ain't nothing there because I, I destroyed my own city. So Shiloh was a, an illustration for Israel. Do you think God is playing? Shallow is no more. And then, this is it's for us, because we know what happened to Israel. Jeremiah is the prophet who prophesied during the exile. He was the prophet prophesying, hey, repent, 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 repent. Okay, there goes Nebuchadnezzar. I see him coming. In other words, God pointed Shiloh to Israel, and I think what he's doing for us, Redeemer, is pointing us to Israel, who was supposed to look at Shiloh 
and have a softened heart. Look at verse 24. Even though Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, even though they're all coming to prophesy, the Lord says in verse 24, they did not obey or incline their ear, but they walked in their own counsel. Verse 25, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck. Verse 27, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen. You shall call, but they will not answer. And so rather than respond with repentance to God's call that was patient, God is telling them they're not listening. They're not going to execute justice. They're not pleading the cause of the widow. They're not caring about the quartet of the vulnerable. They're not leaving extra grain for the sojourner. That They are actually, they have a judicial system set up where the innocent are being condemned and the guilty are being set free. He says, don't do that. Now, now my question is why? Some of it could be fear. What will, I, what will happen if I move towards a sojourner? Maybe they didn't want to live sacrificially. You know, if I use my time, my resources, my money, then I'm going to have to, like, count this cost? Or maybe it was peer pressure. What will my neighbors think if they see me associating with those types of people? Or maybe they were indifferent. Or those might seem to be real reasons. I want to submit to you, Redeemer, that those are only symptoms of a deeper underlying condition. Now, there's something in this passage, and it happens three times, that whenever Jeremiah starts to list their sins, there is always something else lurking nearby. I'll give you one example of it. Look at verse 9. They are stealing and murdering and committing adultery and swearing falsely. And look right there. They are making offerings to Baal and going after other gods they have not known. You also see it right there in verse 6, right? He starts to list out the oppression of the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, and the innocent blood being shed. But notice right after that, if you do not go after other gods. Look again at verse 17 that, that, that Jeremiah starts to lay out. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children, they gather wood. The fathers kindle fire. The women need dough to do what? to make cakes for the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. We think that that, that queen of heaven is, is a, a, a Babylonian slash Assyrian goddess of fertility or love. And think about the image that injustice is happening around them. And you got the dad making the fire. You got the kids going to get the wood, and you got the mama making the cakes to make an offering to a false god. Does that image not haunt you? That if you read the larger structure of Jeremiah, 
He's actually going from the top to the bottom. He says, because the shepherds and the princes and the priests and the prophets are evil, now the fathers are evil, now the wives are evil, and now the kids are evil. And so what you have is corruption at the top that's distilling all the way down to the bottom so that that prophet after prophet, they're coming and the people won't repent. But here's the question. What's the real issue beneath their sin? It's idolatry. Did you notice Baal, the queen of heaven? They're going after other gods. The real reason that we don't care about injustice is not convenience and it's not fear of man. The real reason that that God seems to be charging them with here is that they, they are going after other gods, and because they're going after other gods, their necks are getting stiffened, their eyes are being blind, their ears are being plugged up, and they are not imaging the one true God. And God has had enough. He says, if you amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly do justice, then I will let you dwell in this place. And yet, they didn't. God actually says in verse 16, he says, Jeremiah, stop praying for them. Don't raise a cry of prayer for them. Don't plead with me to save them because I will not listen. And there's a refrain that's going on in this passage. God says, they're not listening to me, so I'm not listening to you. They want to kindle fire and offer strange fire. Well, guess what? I'm going to show them some fire. I'm going to come and burn all of this up. They want to go to high places and make offerings. I'm going to bury them in the valley. In other words, what you have going on in here is their hearts are hardening and hardening and hardening. So God says, if this is what you want, then this is what you get. Here's the danger for us, Redeemer. Turning a blind eye to injustice and not manufacturing ways to promote this in our own lives. They're symptoms of a deeper problem. We might not go after Baal or Ishtar or any of those other, other gods from their day we may privately be worshiping our own gods. Gods of convenience. Gods of fear. The God of patriotism. The God of classism. The God of indifference. The God of busyness. The God of politics. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he does not say, and you must love your country more than everything. He says, your neighbor. Your neighbor. Your neighbor. And God's vision, God's city would be this beautiful city where God's people 
He will dwell in their midst, and there is no sickness or sorrow or sadness or mourning or grief. His intention was for his people to act on earth as things will be in heaven. And so we might say that a mark of a born-again believer is concern, care, and longing, and efforts Make this world a better, more righteous place. How then can this be true for us is my last question. God offers us a different way to live, family. We don't have to walk the path that Israel walked. That we actually can act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. But we have to know the rest of Jeremiah's message to get it. Jeremiah saw that Israel were going to be exiled, but he wrote him a letter in exile. He says, seek the good of the city where I send you. Pray for it as it prospers, you will prosper. Build houses, plant vineyards, get married And in 70 years, I'm going to bring you back, right? God's heart was towards bringing them back. And then in Jeremiah 33, you want to know what God says? He says, in those days, I will cause a righteous branch from David to spring up, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in my land. Who is the righteous branch that that is sprung up out of David? Jeremiah is seeing Jesus. This is why in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus' genealogy does not stop when they're in exile. But when Jesus shows up, Jeremiah, wherever he is with the Lord, he is praising the Lord because now I see it. The truly righteous one who will execute justice, who is from the seed of David, who will do this perfectly, who will love the widow and love the sojourner and love the orphan, who will care for the sick and move towards the broken. Guess who he is? His name is Jesus. He's the one who does this perfectly and beautifully. And do, all right. And do not those words in Jeremiah 7, 11 kind of sound familiar? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Didn't somebody else say that? Didn't Jesus say that right before he went to a cross when he went into the temple and he saw them doing the same thing their forefathers did? Did he not overthrow that temple and say, in three days, I'm going to build a new temple and it's going to be my body. And so what we see when Jesus goes into that temple to overturn it, he's putting a death to our power to be enslaved by this type of living, rather through him taking on our sin and our iniquity and our passivity, the truly righteous one goes to a cross and he bears the weight of our sin. And so I don't want your consciences to be overly burdened. There is forgiveness. There is peace. There is acceptance in the family of God for all the ways that we fall short. And it's because someone who was just and righteous and beautiful and holy, he executed the justice of God in a way that no mere mortal can do it. And he took your guilt 
and took my shame and took my passivity and he took it upon himself and he carried it away. And then Jeremiah says, but I see something else that this new son of David is going to do. And you'll find that in Jeremiah 31. God says, I will make a new covenant with my people and I will be their God and they will be my people and I will put my law on their hearts. Did you catch that? That we're not banking on trying to get justice right in our own strength and in our own wisdom. As an overflow of God's goodness and the finished work of Christ, God says, I'm going to write this on your heart. You're going to look at this and you're going to be grieved. You're going to look at this and you're going to answer these questions. Well, how can I image Jesus to this world? Do you see how it's possible? Only through union with Christ. If we're going to be about manufacturing justice, it's only going to be through seeing and accepting the greatest injustice of all time. Carried out back there on the cross. And as we're united with the cross, we come out of the grave and we walk a new way, not the old way. And then Jesus says to the disciples and to us, you are the light of the world. You are the city on a hill. Did you catch that? God's vision was for Jerusalem to be this city where justice reigns. And now Jesus says, you're the city. And so wherever you go, wherever you go, whether it's to work or to peacefully protest or to write a check out to an organization doing good work or to go to a seminary classroom, or to go pastor a multi-ethnic church, or to do big things or small things, wherever you go, the city of God goes with you. This is ours in Christ. And so what are some steps, right? What are some things that we can do to live a just life empowered by the gospel. I'm going to give you 10 things, and I'm going to make them really quick. It begins with repentance. That we can acknowledge our guilt in this area, and we can hold fast to the grace of God that trains us to renounce ungodliness and to live upright and godly lives in the present age. That's one thing. We can move in covenant to be compassionate. Where we seek to understand and empathize before we seek to fix and to judge. Three, we can learn about history and facts and issues that are affecting the world we live in. And we can learn our own gifts and passions and strength. Four, we can commit to what is local and mundane before trying to fix 
what is global and grand. Five, we have to think long term here. Change is slow. Six, we want to think about caring for people holistically, the human body and the human soul. We do good deeds and we share good news. We wed those things together. Seven, we think about generational impact. We learn from those older than us and we bring along those younger than us. You see, that's the problem that Jeremiah is facing. You got generational sin that's being passed down. And if we're going to do good and pursue flourishing, we can't do it alone. We stand on the shoulders of other Christians who've worked this out. And our children, they need to be taught how do we wed our faith with our lives. One of the sweetest things that happened to us was during the ice raids. I didn't post it. We went to Canton with our children. And we held hands and prayed with real children whose parents had been separated from them. To watch the Lord shape our children. When we can lead by example, it means that we're discipling them and not the culture around them. Eight, we're hopeful because we believe that Jesus is bringing the most just city from above and it will endure forever. John sees the new city not manufactured by humans on earth, but it comes from above. We can do this with hope. Nine, we can celebrate what we have and what God is doing right here and right now. It's a gift to have this body. Celebrate this. Lastly, we need prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by our hands, but it's when we're on our knees. And then we do and we act as God gives us these gifts and desires. Pray with me. Father, we bless you. We love you. We thank you for the finished work of Christ. Make us a people who care deeply about justice. Amen.